0: We all have a yearning for love, but relationships can be confusing and complicated. Dr. Tammy Balashevsky says it all starts from within. It starts with a journey to center. Here's your host for Journey to Center on Empower Radio, Dr. Tammy Balashevsky. Hello, my exquisite friends and you beautiful souls. You know, one of the earliest relationships on record is the story of Adam and Eve. I think we can learn a a lot about ourselves and each other and our connection to God by virtue of paying attention to it. And I think you're probably a little bit familiar with their story, but just in case you're not, I want to share it with you briefly. God over the course of six days creates the world by speaking in darkness and calling into light, land, sky, and the animals. On the sixth day, God declares his intention to make a being in his own image, and he creates mankind. He fashions man, Adam, out of dust and forms Eve out of his rib. They reside in the idyllic garden of of Eden and are encouraged to enjoy the world fully, forbidding them only from eating the tree, the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In the same garden there lived a snake. The snake advised Eve to eat the fruit from the tree, telling her if she did, she'd become like God. Tempted by this, she did so and made Adam do so as well. The next day, when God came to the garden, Adam and Eve felt naked and ashamed. When God asked them if they'd eaten this fruit, they admitted they had. He became angry. And because of their sin, God says, Eve will suffer painful childbirth and must submit to her husband's authority. And Adam will have to toil and work the ground for food. Then the two are banished from Eden. But is there more to the story? Is there another perspective, a different way of interpreting this parable? Is there more to understand and learn? I have thought about this and meditated and come to some of my own conclusions, which which have given me great solace. And today I'm beyond thrilled, honored, and excited to be learning more. We have the immense privilege of having some sacred time with a prolific wizard of words, a profound storyteller, and a master teacher. We are here with William Paul Young. Paul was born in Canada and then moved to New Guinea with his missionary parents and his three younger siblings. He was raised among a Stone Age tribe who became his family. He was the first white child, an outsider who was granted access into their culture and community and spoke their language. Paul's family eventually returned to Canada, where his family pastored a number of churches for various denominations. Paul attended over a dozen schools and eventually completed his undergrad degree in religion at Warner Pacific College in Portland, Oregon. Years ago, Paul was working three jobs when he decided to write a Christian tale of redemption for his children. He printed off fifteen copies and gave them to his family and friends. The manuscript was never intended for broad publication, but it caught the eye of two pastors, and together with Paul, they created a publishing company. Today, that manuscript, The Shack, is a worldwide phenomenon and has sold over 22 million copies. The once reluctant author has, now, has also written the best-selling books, Crossroads, which we talked about last year, and the book we'll be talking about today, entitled Eve. This story is captivating, thought-provoking, eye-opening, and heart-expanding, and I would recommend it to anyone who wants to broaden their vision, deepen in their understanding, and return to the eternally loving embrace of our creator. So Paul, thank you for saying yes to another conversation with us here on Empower Radio.
1: That's so great to be with you, Tammy, thank you. I was wondering who you were introducing there for a while.
0: Prolific master
1: of prose or whatever it was.
0: <laughs> Wizard <laughs> of Words. You really Wizard are. of Words, yes. Wizard of Words, Master Teacher. I <laughs> just love your book so much. As I was mentioning to you before we went on the air, I wanted to do some reading for pleasure, and I grabbed your book, Eve, and ah uh, I couldn't put it down. My eyes were wide, my heart was expanding. I was, it was just a really beautiful way of exploring this um, relationship from another perspective. And I know you've said. This book was the single most arduous creative work that you've ever engaged in. Well, at least so far. And I'd like to know a little bit more about that and why you chose to explore this story.
1: Uh, Let me go back to uh, sort of a funny part of the story. And that is that after Crossroads, um, I had no more like contractual obligations with a publishing house. And the publishers were contacting me saying, well, so what are you working on? So I put together a, a list of projects that were potential and, um, there were nine of them. And then, and then just to round it off cause it, 10 just seemed like a rounder number. <laughs> I just threw in at the bottom, the concept of Eve as a novel. And I mean, within 24 hours, it rises to the top of the conversation and I'm going like, are you serious? Uh I mean, I just I just sort of (laughs) threw that in at the bottom. And and the reason that I it was sort of an add on is that I actually thought that this project was impossible. I mean, um, every one of my books revolves around a a certain kind of question or a group of questions. Um, The Mm -hmm. shack is around the question of the goodness of God in the midst of human tragedy. You know, what do you do with with suffering and great loss you know, if God is good and all powerful, et cetera. And uh, then Crossroads was, so if relationship is the crucible of transformation, which I think it is, I think we are designed uh, as communal beings where that's why the Trinity in part matters so much to me is that God has never been alone, always been in community. And uh, if relationships are the crucible of transformation, how does grace or change get inside the world of someone who has shut themselves off from relationship or has mm-hmm. has obliterated them in his life, and and so Tony in Crossroads is a much um, he's in, he's he's not a nice guy compared with Mackenzie in the Shack. Mm-hmm. Well, both of those books were sort of like jumping in a river that had nobody else in the in the river. So, and and I use a river as a creative. Uh, as a metaphor for creativity for me. And uh, I'm not a, I'm not one of these people that has a specific time of day that you do your thousand words or whatever. I'm I've just never been disciplined like that in my life about pretty much anything. And, um, and so I tend to just pick up pieces until I have a big pile of who knows what and then jump in a river and see what happens. And, uh, but The question in Eve was a question that had had been underlying so much of my exploration, theologically and and, uh, from a human perspective, since I was a teenager. And uh, the question is coming from my, you have to understand, evangelical, fundamentalist, uh, um, conservative, Christian background. And I looked at my life and I thought, you know, um, most of the damage in my life personally comes from men. And as I look around the world, most of the damage in the world comes from men. Mm-hmm. Men are the ones who start wars. They're the ones that are all about territory and competition. Not that women can't be mean and catty and all the rest of it, but in right. in, in, in overarching terms, you know, if you if you go into the prison system, the women are there largely because of relationships. They have this bend toward relationship that is much more akin to the nature of God than than men who tend to distance themselves from relationship. It's men who usually run away from the children in the family. It's 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 you know, how many brothels exist on the planet for women? You know? And it's it's like, all right. So we have these massive industries of of objectification and dehuman, dehumanization, uh, whether it's war or whether it's advertising or whatever. And my question was, if men are so much more messed up than women, which seems obvious, how come they're in, how come they're in charge? Right. And, and I was asking that theologically too. So I've been working on the, theology or the scholarship that's behind eve for over 40 years Mm -hmm. and and it's not jumping into a river where there isn't anybody this is jumping into a river that's full of boats and swimmers and people and and it's an entire different navigation and so you know i'm trying to be um respectful of the scholarship that is the Jewish Hebrew scholarship. I'm trying to be respectful of the theological work that's been done over the centuries and, uh, and be respectful to the language itself. Um, there's a, an incredibly beautiful tradition within the, in the Jewish community called Midrash, which is looking for the story in the spaces between the words and, uh, because Hebrew as a language is very limited. It's a very small vocabulary. I think there's like, I don't know, 65, 7,500 nouns, um, in the entire Hebrew scripture as compared with three quarters of a million in English. Mm. So, so words themselves are, are very fluid. And then there's no punctuation. There's no, no, you know, there's no breaks between letters. There's, all these other elements. So it depends on how you combine um, the letters themselves. And there's just a whole lot of creating a story in the spaces between the words. And uh, and the more that I worked on my question, because it took me into the the issue is, well, so is there a hierarchy in the Trinity? You know, is the God the Father over God the Son over God the Holy Spirit over, you know, and on down the chain of being? Or is there not? And if you look at every christian tradition um protestant catholic orthodox all of them have this in agreement that the idea of the eternal subordination of the son to the father that jesus is eternally subordinated to the father hierarchy mm-hmm. that, that is considered heresy in every single tradition
0: hmm.
1: and yeah a lot of people don't know that because i
0: didn't know that
1: yeah so um so as i began Working on this and looking at all the quote-unquote problem passages with regard to women in the New Testament, for example, it drove me constantly back to the Genesis story. And, and I love that you opened up with this little synopsis of Genesis because, I don't know, I lost track, but there were like 30 misconceptions in your little presentation.
0: I was wondering about that. I, I was doing some research and that's what I put together and that's how I understand it. So I wanted that's, to, yeah. I want to understand from your perspective, is that accurate?
1: Uh, uh, the, the little thing you did is yes. is 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 accurate to the mythology that we have developed over the last right. centuries, okay. but it's not accurate to the text.
0: It's very different and, than your book. So yes, I want to know, I want to know more about that.
1: Right. So... The difficulty, the reason this was such a hard piece of work to do was that I was trying to put 40 some years of scholarship Mm -hmm. into a fiction story that was accessible to a teenager. Mm -hmm. And that was just like (laughs) hair out hard, you know, because there's lots of things that have been written on Genesis and and, um, the garden and all of that. And um, but it's to write fiction is a very different thing than to write nonfiction. Nonfiction has its rules and it's pretty static um, where fiction is very fluid. And yet I wanted to be true to this, to the the text and the scholarship. So how do you do that? So I centered my story. I ended up centering my story around a 15 year old girl um, who basically represents all of us. And um, she she finds herself incredibly disoriented in a world she doesn't understand. She doesn't know how she got there. She knows she's damaged. And she brings all of that to the table. And then it's inside relationship that this begins to emerge, the, the truth. And she gets to witness the beginnings from a different perspective than our traditional mythology. Mm-hmm. And... Um,
0: and, and that was what my experience was. And I, I've done my own meditation about this whole like origins of being human, but your, um, your book, your story expanded my vision even wider and opened my heart even more. And, um, I just, I just was thrilled to be on this journey with you and I didn't know what was going to happen next, which is, I think maybe an earmark of a great, you know, fiction work. Um, it's like just being in, in involved in the story, in the river with it, if you will. And yeah. so I would definitely recommend it to anyone that wants to go higher and deeper in their understanding and compassion of what it means to be a spiritual being having this human experience.
1: So do you want to tackle a couple of the misconceptions?
0: Yes, please.
1: Okay. So eight times in the New Testament, um, eight times it says that the brokenness of the cosmos came into being, came into the, uh, the universe through one man. Eight times it says that. And both references to Eve is that she was thoroughly deceived. And it uses a, a, mm. an expression. She wasn't the faith.
0: bad guy, huh?
1: No, not at all. Mm-hmm. So even if you just took that at face value, eight times the New Testament declares that through one man, um, sin entered the world. Um, That should change your perspective on the narrative of Genesis, because over the centuries, the blame has been placed directly at the feet of women. And it was done by theologians and by psychologists and all kinds of folks and um, and and evidence to the the dominating power that men have taken. And um, we did it theologically as well. Even simple things like. If you read Genesis chapter one, verse two, and you're introduced to Ruach, who is the Holy Spirit. Well, Ruach is feminine and the verbs are feminine and the pronouns are feminine, but the translation's usually masculine. And, um, and so even when we do our translation work, we haven't been honest um, uh, a fair degree. And, mm-hmm. and then we develop our storyline that, for example, that there was a rib involved. Well, the word "rib" doesn't even show up in Genesis. The first time you run into the actual word "rib that's in the Hebrew is in Daniel. And it's a rib that's in the mouth of a beast. and but it's not in Genesis at all. Hmm. and And so there is this there is this tradition that emerged from um, actually a rabbinical story. Um, about why a rib, and it was because, you know, it was an unseen part that, you know, and and it goes, if she'd have been taken from his head, then she would have ruled over him. If he'd taken from his feet, she'd be a gadabout. If she'd been taken from his hands, she'd want to pry into everything. I mean, it's all negative. And so he picks a rib that even when a man is naked is unseen, right? That's the rabbinical history of why a rib shows up, and then it was adapted into the translation work, and it's ended up in our mythology. But it doesn't exist in the Genesis story.
0: Fascinating. Right? I didn't yeah, know that. Yeah, I think.
1: So <laughs> here, here's another one, is that you can read the English text in Genesis 3, and, and after the big confrontation, um, which, is very, which is a very gentle one on the part of God, you know, everybody says that he's angry and all this, but you don't see that anger there in the, in the text itself. Right. Um, we added it because, you know, we believe in an angry God. So it, we just impose that angry God on every situation that we find. And um, uh, because we're angry and, so, yes. you know, we, we project our anger onto the face of God. Well, in that situation, there's this conversation that takes place and then you know, in all of our art, all of our literature, it has Adam and Eve being escorted out of the garden. There's a big angel with a flaming fiery sword, and they're they're in shame. So usually have Adam's arm over Eve, their heads are bowed down as they're being booted out of the garden, right? Right. It's not in Genesis.
0: Wrong.
1: In Genesis, yes. only Adam is escorted out of the garden. Oh. And it tells you that twice. Even in the English, it says it very clearly. You know, she wasn't she wasn't taken out out of the ground. And so the man is because he, he's still in his rebellion and never. Now they both transgress according to scripture. That is, they both violated something that God had declared was not good. Mm-hmm. And, but there, uh, there's this line in Job that it says, don't be like Adam who hid the iniquity in his heart. And the word iniquity is, is a fist in the face. You know, uh, it's, it's a, it's a fury that's internalized that says, damn you, I want nothing to do with you. Mm -hmm. It's, that's never attributed to her for her. She is thoroughly deceived for him. He hid the iniquity in his heart. Now, when did that start? And see, in our mythology, we think that it was when, um, you know, the, the, that she eats of the fruit and then gives it to him. Well, Here's, here's an even more fundamental question. Does God create anything that is not good? The answer is no. Because God is only good. So God doesn't create anything that is not good. And you find this sequence in the Hebrew. Good, 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 you know, the creation. Very good, very good, and then not good. Right. And when you run into that first not good All of your antenna should show up because this does not originate in God. This not good has to originate somewhere else. And what does it say? And God knew it was not good that Adam was in his, that he was alone is how it's in the English, but in his separation. So here's the deal. Adam has never been alone ever. Adam is created inside the affection of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, because there is no creation that is outside of God. All of creation is created in God. And the New Testament says specifically in Jesus, John 1, 3, for example, Uh, not anything that has come into being has come into being apart from him. So Adam is created in the image of a God who has never been alone, right? This is the beauty and part of the Trinity. God has never been alone. And we're created in the image of God. So aloneness does not exist in God, which means Adam brought it to the table. This is before Eve is even withdrawn from him. Right. Right. And so he's already separated himself. He has already determined that he's alone. He's already turned his face away from the father, son, and Holy spirit from light, from love, from goodness. Right. And, 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 when he turns his face away from light, he casts a shadow that becomes how he then defines everything. So his tumble has gone down, and there's a theologian um, a couple hundred years ago that says that 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 she is withdrawn out of him in order to stop his lapse into non-being. She is a call back to his humanity and And women have done that throughout the century. So have children. If there's anything that will call a man back toward his humanity, it is a woman or a child, a relationship, instead of moving into independent power, uh, control and all those things. And then you find the answer to the question, you know, why are men so much more messed up is because that that turning originates in them. And that turning stayed there through the entire conversation. She acknowledged that through her would come the seed that would crush the serpent's head, the lie, the mm-hmm. accusation. Mm-hmm. And but he didn't, and so he's escorted out. Um, there's a whole bunch more that's so fascinating about that. But when she turns from God, she turns toward a relationship with yes. Adam. And, and so looks- many
0: of us look for God in our men.
1: Yeah. Identity, worth, value, significance, security, meaning, yes. purpose, destiny, yes. community, love. So yes. but at least but the point is she at least turns to a relationship, which is much more akin to the character and nature of God. He doesn't. He turns to the ground in the works of his hands. Right. And now yes. he looks at the ground and the works of his hands as identity, worth, value, significance, security, meaning, purpose. So in the call of the call of the good news throughout the scripture is return. Yes. You've turned away, return. So the woman has to turn from placing identity, worth, value, et cetera, in the man back to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, back where the God. only that can provide it. And the man has this two-step turning. He has to even begin to see that relationships are valuable and then not use relationships as territory and property either, but begin to identify and trust in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. So yeah, all of that is part of what's inside this, but it's wrapped up into a fiction story, so.
0: And yeah. a very incredibly interesting fiction story, that. So, Paul, we just have a couple minutes here, and I'm so excited I get to feature you on another show next week, where we get to go even deeper and higher with all of this. In the meantime, where can people get a copy of this book? Where can they connect with you? How do they get more of what you have to offer?
1: Ah, uh, So you can get the books anywhere, um, and uh, they're definitely Amazon and, you know, all the book chains and all that stuff. Um, um, uh connecting is W.M. Paul Young, W.M. for William. I'm one of four generations of Williams, none of who go by William. And uh, <laughs> we all go by our middle names. So W.M. that'll connect you to Facebook and Twitter and all of those things that I don't really understand. But I'm glad <laughs> A lot <of> people do. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it wouldn't so, be fair if you did because you understand so much
1: <laughs> oh yeah you, know, you, you have to choose what you want to understand i'm still trying to you know understand my wife but that can, becomes more of a mystery <laughs> the older we get so
0: <laughs> and it's okay to just enjoy the mystery without necessarily understanding it
1: <laughs> no it's, it's ideal actually it, it is just, ideal it is got because the point. you're not supposed you do, you, to know Oh, I know. You're not. It's mis- You You enter a mystery and you lose control. That's relationship, see? And that's yep. what people don't want. They don't want to lose control. But the we beauty of a relationship is an expanding universe, right?
0: Yes. We have to be able to surrender control and enjoy the river, enjoy the experience of being human. We'll uh, know everything when we go home. Yeah, it's supposed to be fun.
1: Well, it, it is and arduous and work, but it's worth the work.
0: Absolutely. I agree with you completely. Thank you so much, Paul, for having this conversation with me. And to my listeners, thanks for hanging out with us. I know he's opening your mind. So uh, come back and listen to us next week. We've got another great conversation coming up. And just know that you're in a heart and prayers. God bless you. We appreciate you. Onward and upward. Bye for now.